slides it out for Ekblad. Back to Hoffman, blocked by Polak and Rice! Another spectacular stop! Broussard tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Marcel with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope everybody had a good weekend, and for Islanders fans, It certainly was an exciting weekend, a dramatic come-from-behind victory over the Philadelphia Flyers down in Philadelphia. After trailing 3-0, the Islanders come back with three third-period goals and win in a shootout. Their point streak is now at 14 games, and that's just one short of the franchise record of 15 set back in 1982 during the Stanley Cup glory years. So uh, lots to get to, and and the Islanders not only win, but they win in dramatic fashion, despite the fact that they really weren't playing their best hockey for at least the first period of the game. We're going to talk about the game, analyze it, break it down. We've got this date in Islanders history and a whole lot more to talk about, including the NHL debut of an Islanders rookie that finally took place on Saturday. So let's get right to it. Saturday evening in Philadelphia, the game gets underway and the Islanders really lay an egg early. That first period, they were outplayed in almost every facet of the game. And, you know, you look at the shots on goal, it was 14-9 to in the first period in favor of Philadelphia. But, you know, even that doesn't tell the full story as to how poorly the Islanders played or really how much better the Flyers were in period one. And it certainly didn't take long for Philadelphia to break the ice. They took a one nothing lead just a minute 38 into the game on Sean Couturier's sixth goal of the year, assist to Oscar Lindblom. And, you know, not a lot, really, that uh, Tomas Grice could have done to stop that one. And the Flyers were just really, for most of this period, outskating the Islanders. And, and that's something that you don't see happening very often to this Islanders team. Not only were the Flyers out skating them, but they started to draw penalties. Johnny Boychuk taking an interference call at the 12-minute mark, and then Jordan Eberle trips up Ivan Provorov with uh, less than two minutes left in the period, and the Flyers turn that into a big second goal in the final 24 seconds of the period, and Provorov himself gets the power play goal, his fourth of the year, from Couturier and Matt Niskanen, and all of a sudden, instead of that one nothing deficit, Philadelphia has a 2 nothing lead over the Islanders, and that's one of those, you know, last-minute, momentum-changing kind of goals, and as a result, you know, the Islanders certainly not feeling as good heading into period two, but you know what? To their credit, The Islanders came back. They were much better in the second period. Outshot the Flyers 13-4 and really consistently started to 
test Brian Elliott, who played pretty well overall for the Flyers, and he played very well in that second period. As a result, uh, you know, it seemed like the Islanders were going to get back in the game, but they couldn't. And then Oscar Lindblom, his ninth goal of the year at 12-20, makes it a 3-0 Philadelphia lead with Farabee and Provorov getting the assists. And all of a sudden, uh, things not looking all that good for the New York Islanders. They go into the locker room after 40 minutes, down by three goals. And it was almost like this was a mirror image Uh, in some ways, of the loss they had against the Penguins in overtime, where it was the Islanders who were up 3-0 after 40 minutes. But here's the thing. To the Islanders' credit, they did not quit. And they really managed to get their legs under them. And, you know, you heard in post-game interviews the important thing to the Islanders' players and, and coaches was let's get that first one because if we get that first goal, we can really, uh, you know, put some pressure on them and chip away at that lead. So they tried to get that first goal as early as they could and lo and behold, it was Anthony Beauvillier scoring from Brassard and Nelson at 7.46 and a good hustle goal right there by Beauvillier, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a 3-1 to one hockey game, and you could feel the momentum starting to turn. And, you know, the Islanders now finally get a call. The Flyers, a few times in this game, could have been called for too many men in, on the ice. We saw it, uh, you know, at least two or three times earlier in the game, but the referees never did call it. Well, this time they finally do. And at the uh, 11.44 mark, the Flyers called for too many men. Van Riemsdyk heads into the penalty box to serve it, and the Islanders managed to take advantage. Some great patience uh, on the power play. They passed the puck exceptionally well, and it was... Barzal getting his ninth on the power play at 13:34 from Brock Nelson and Derek Brassard, and all of a sudden it's a one-goal game, and there's still six minutes and 26 seconds left on the clock. So you feel this sense of urgency. You feel the Flyers back on their heels. They are certainly uh, under pressure. They are reacting. They are holding on if they can for dear life. But the Islanders, you could feel that momentum building. And, you know, the Islanders outshot the Flyers 12-10 to 10 in the third period. But, you know, they really got the job done, especially those last 15 minutes. And Thomas, Thomas Grice made a couple of really important saves in that third period in order to keep this a one-goal game, and that was huge. But the Islanders still trailed by a 3-2 margin when things suddenly started to turn. We'll talk about the tying goal and then the overtime and the shootout in just a moment. But right now, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. 
Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com backslash offers. All right, so the Islanders down 3-2 to two as time starts to fall away, slip away, when it was Anthony Beauvillier coming through an unassisted goal with just two minutes and four seconds left in regulation, and all of a sudden, it's a 3-3 hockey game, and boy, were the Islanders ever excited. You could feel the momentum change, and they had to hold on for that last two minutes, four seconds to guarantee themselves a point and guarantee that they would extend the point streak to a 14th game, which they did. Then we go into overtime. The Islanders outshoot Philadelphia 3-1 to in the five-minute extra session, outshoot the Flyers 37-29 to overall in this game, and yet neither team is able to score, and we are headed to a shootout. So, Eberle comes in, Jordan Eberle, he is first, and he scores a goal on the first shot, and that puts a lot of pressure on the Flyers right away. It was a nice shot by Eberle, who had missed a, a good scoring chance in the first period that would have really sort of changed the complexion of the game, but now he comes through, he scores by going five-hole, and the Islanders have the first goal of the shootout. Then Grice comes up big, stops Couturier, and then it's Matthew Barzal with the second chance for the Islanders. Barzal manages to score, and that means that the Flyers needed to hit on both of their last shots in order to extend the shootout. It was their captain, Claude Giroux, with the first opportunity, but Grice comes up with a poke check, makes the play that prevents the goal, and the Islanders hold on for a 4-3 win over the Philadelphia Flyers after trailing 3-0 after two periods and a dramatic, exciting win. The kind of a thing that really, again, boosts the morale of a team. And the more the Islanders win, A, when they're not playing their best hockey, and B, when they are in a situation where their backs are up against the wall, the team's confidence grows. And it's not just that they realize, hey, we've been lucky. Eventually, you start to realize, hey, we've been really good. And they have been really good. This team is not a fluke. And I kind of usually hesitate to say things like that because, you know, it's still early in the season. We are, what, about six, seven weeks into the NHL season. And, uh, you know, there's still 60-something games left on the schedule. But at the same time, when you find ways to win on the road, when you're down 3 nothing after 45 minutes against a division rival, uh, you know, it's one of those things that just shows that, hey, this is what good hockey teams do. And when you don't just do it for one or two games, you end up with, you know, at least a point in 14 straight games. When you bounce back 
after, you know, having that game against Pittsburgh a week ago where they blew the 3-0 lead and lost in overtime, their response was excellent. And it just shows this team is well-coached, this team has discipline, and they're not going anywhere. Uh, This team will be in contention, in my opinion, for the rest of this season, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of a playoff run they can go on. Look, let's take it one game at a time. Let's not jump too far ahead. We have a home-and-home coming up with Pittsburgh. That's the next big, uh, you know, thing that the Islanders have to be concerned about. But the way this team is playing right now, it and the fact that they've been doing it through injuries, that says a lot of positive things about this hockey team. Let's also, uh, while we're on the subject of this game, we have to congratulate Adu Koivula finally making his NHL debut. This was the fifth time that the Islanders had called him up to the big club, but he finally got on the ice. He centered the fourth line along with uh, Josh Bailey, uh, and and it really sort of paid off uh, the way he ended up playing, got the job done on that fourth line, and you look at his final stats, he, he did what he needed to do. Only seven minutes, 14 seconds of ice time. He was on the line with Ross Johnston, which, uh, you know, they made a, a nice pairing. He just, you know, got things done. Didn't get a shot on goal necessarily, but registered two hits. And, you know, 10 shifts, 7 minutes, 14 seconds of ice time. But most importantly, for a guy who had been called up so often without actually seeing the ice, uh, he finally makes his NHL debut. And, you know, congratulations to the kid. It's it's a good thing. He got to practice this time uh, before, you know, getting into the game. And uh, that's a good sign. Three practices before finally taking the ice and uh, again, he acquitted himself just fine. Leo Komarov was a scratch, probably precautionary uh, in the sense that, you know, he's coming back after an extended absence due to injury. You get him uh, a, a day of rest, and, and that gives him a lot of maintenance. Noah Dobson, also a healthy scratch for the Islanders. Uh, and for Komarov, you know, he didn't miss a game last season, played in all 82 But this is the first time, as an Islander at least, that he was officially a healthy scratch. But uh, again, Kamarov, going to sit one out, and I I get the feeling he'll be back in the lineup quickly. The player who led the Islanders in hits in this game, by the way, was was Michael Del Col. And that's a little bit of a a surprise, but he went out there and played a, a solid game, ends up with... Uh, four hits, and that was very good. And Devin Tays, he's been playing some strong hockey. You look at what he did, almost 22 minutes of ice time, a plus two, first among defensemen, four shots on goal, two hits, one block shots. Uh, just a very good all-around game, and I think one of the things about Tays, he's really learning how to time his pinches and when he's going to go in and take a gamble and uh, try to keep the puck in the zone and do it without hurting his team defensively. He knows when to pinch and when not to pinch, and, and you're seeing the results due to his improved play on the ice and his offensive production. Meanwhile, two Islanders with strong games in the face-off circle. Brock Nelson, once again, 
winning 13 out of 19 face-offs. That's uh, 68% roughly. And then Casey Sezekis winning 7 out of 12 for 58%. So the Islanders doing better in the face-off circle, and that is certainly a good sign as they, you know, that's one area they sort of needed to improve upon. All right, we're going to talk about an Islanders milestone. We're also going to talk about the improved play of one particular Islander who had a big impact on Saturday's game. Plus, we'll have this date in Islanders history and more in just a minute. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Gil Martin. Don't forget, if you want to join the show, you can email us at LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles, and you can follow me on Twitter as well. My handle is at IceWarsNYR versus NYI. Now, of course, you can email your questions or comments to the show. Again, that email address, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. And if you leave your name and where you're from, if your question is good, we will be happy to read it on the air or discuss any topic that is on your mind. All right, a milestone for Josh Bailey playing in his 815th game as an Islander. That puts him alone in fifth place in Islanders history passing Bob Bourne, who of course was a member of all four Stanley Cup teams. The all-time Islanders leader in games played Brian Trottier, the Hall of Famer, with 1,123 games. Dennis Potvan is the only other Islander with more than 1,000. He's played 1,060. Bobby Nystrom with 900. And then Clark Gillies with 872. They are the only ones right now ahead of Josh Bailey. Also right now, have to mention the improved play as of late uh, of Anthony Beauvillier, and it's hard to ignore. I mean, four goals in his last two games, two goals in each contest, uh, two against Toronto, two against Philadelphia, and uh, overall, not just the points, because look, you know, in the last 10 games, he has four goals and two assists, but... He's just playing a smarter all-around game, getting more shots on goal, 10 shots in his last two games. And you, you look at this here, six games in a row with at least two shots on goal. He's being much more consistent, getting the job done, and his ice time is inching up as a result as Barry Trotz feels more comfortable turning to Beauvillier in a varying amount of circumstances, who really seems to be starting to take that next step in his development as an NHL player, and it only helps the Islanders' overall depth at forward, as he is a guy who can really pitch in on the second line, third line, move up to the first line, even in stints if he needs to, and knows how to play a smart hockey game, which you weren't always able to say about him when he first came into this league. And you know, again, that's a big difference for this Islanders hockey team under the Lamarillo and Trotz regime, because a lot of criticism used to be sent at this team because of their failure to develop 
a lot of their prospects because their players did not fully blossom and reach their potential. And now you're seeing a little bit more of a patient approach and players are starting to develop a lot better. And I think part of that is that they're not being asked to take on too much too soon. So many players in the past in the Islanders organization were rushed to the NHL and they kind of had to be because the team was struggling on the ice so much. Now there's a bit more of a patient approach. The players are getting seasoned in the minors. They are also learning the new system that this team has played for the past season plus and it's paying off in spades because players know if they're not responsible on the entire ice in all three zones, they're not going to see a lot of ice time. This is a defense first team, a defense first organization right now, and it makes a difference when you are responsible in all three zones. It changes the approach of the young players as well as of the organization, and it's just a very positive sign overall for this hockey team. All right, it's time for this date in Islanders history. We take you back to November 18th, 1984, the site, the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Islanders, Flyers hitting the ice. This game had a rather rare occurrence in it, and we'll get to that very soon. The Flyers broke out on top when Ray Allison scored his first goal of the year, assist to Brad McCrimmon. They and that made the score a 1-0 Philadelphia, a lead they held until the first intermission. In the second period, the Islanders battled back. First, Pat Flatley scoring at 13:54, his sixth of the year from Brent Sutter and Gord Lane. And then on the power play, Dennis Potvan gets his third goal of the year with 3.35 left in the second period. Bossy and Stefan Pearson with the assist, and it's 2-1 Islanders. But Philadelphia bounces back. Defenseman Doug Crossman gets his first goal of the year with a minute 18 left in period two. Assist to Ilka Senesilo and Thomas Erickson. And after 40 minutes, it's all even at 2-2. Two to two. In the third period, the Flyers took a 3-2 lead as enforcer Dave Brown scored his first goal at 7-17, and suddenly it's 3-2 Philadelphia, things not looking so good for the Islanders, and just then, things got a little bit worse. Paul Boudelier of the Islanders was called for throwing his stick along the ice to prevent Ron Sutter from taking an open shot. The result, referee Kerry Frazier calls for a penalty shot, and the 17,191 Flyers fans in attendance going crazy, but at the same time, a great save by goaltender Kelly Rudy as Sutter tried to go a little bit he tried to go low, but he got the puck up a little bit, glove side, and Rudy makes the save to keep it a 3-2 game in favor of the Flyers. And then, with just two minutes and 42 seconds left in regulation time, the Islanders tie it on a goal by Pat LaFontaine, his fifth of the year. Dwayne Sutter and Gord Lane get the assists, and the game 
heads to overtime. Neither team scores in the extra session, and the Flyers and the Islanders skate off with a 3-3 tie. Kelly Rudy making 28 saves for the Islanders, while Pelly Lindbergh made 37 saves for the Flyers in a game, again, that ended in a tie, 3-3 at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. All that on this date in Islanders history. That's going to do it for us today. Join us tomorrow and every day on the Locked On Islanders podcast. Tomorrow we will take a look at previewing the Islanders' upcoming game in Pittsburgh against the Penguins. Again, no Sidney Crosby for Pittsburgh. He will be out for about six weeks, so the Islanders catching the Penguins at a good time considering Crosby's absence, although Evgeny Malkin will, of course, still be in the lineup for the Penguins. Another big division rivalry game. We'll have a full preview of that, this Dayton Islanders history, and a whole lot more. So join us tomorrow for the Locked On Islanders podcast. I am your host, Gil Martin. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.